Hello, I'm Zev Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, and inspiration in their daily effort to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. Folks, uh, welcome to what I believe to be the first and only podcast that I'm familiar with that is really dedicated to advancing value-based healthcare. Our focus today is, uh, from my perspective, one of the most uh, critical success factors and potentially one of the most ominous failure modes if we don't attend to it, which is what people uh, are calling and have been calling the so-called last mile of healthcare delivery. This is, uh, for those unfamiliar with that phrase, uh, it's the, it's the patient-provider interface. This is really where value uh, is created in healthcare delivery. Uh, surprisingly, it's the part of healthcare that uh, often gets a bit overlooked. Uh, there's an assumption that it just leave it alone and fix the things around that. But uh, again, we know from the science of process improvement and quality improvement that you want to focus on where value is created uh, and uh, you want to do th- things right the first time, as opposed to having to work around it and fix it. And uh, in fact, we know that at this uh, patient-provider interface, there's a tremendous opportunity for improvement. I think one uh, factoid, which increasingly we are all becoming familiar with, at least on the provider side, is the amount of stress uh, that providers feel in the so-called last mile of healthcare delivery, um, where value is created in the doctor or provider-patient relationship. We know that uh, nearly 50% of, uh, of physicians are burnt out, particularly primary care physicians. And so we have a problem. Uh, that's, a, that's just one facet of it. We'll touch upon that as well as other issues. And uh, we are incredibly fortunate to have a guest on the show today who is himself perfectly designed to redesign this part of healthcare, Dr. Par Bellina. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Bellina Par, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, uh, give us a little bit of a sketch of uh, where you've been in your training and your career and where you are now, and uh, then we'll jump right into the topic. Welcome. Hi, Zev. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, inviting me on to the podcast. Uh, in brief... I am uh, in Chicago where I grew up and went to undergraduate at the University of Illinois, went to medical school in the city at the University of Illinois at Chicago, subsequently did internal medicine residency training at Bay State Medical Center in Western Massachusetts, part of the Tufts program. And shortly after that, spent about a year and a half in the VA system in Northampton, um, waiting for for my partner to finish up her residency training before we both relocated to Nashville. And in Nashville, uh, I spent the better part of 13 years in a multi-specialty group uh, doing initially nursing home, inpatient and outpatient care. Uh, and was responsible for a lot of the various aspects of of the practice, quality, compliance, coding, technology, um, and as well as ancillary revenue and growth, designing clinics, 
expanding the group, uh, optimizing workflow, patient care, staff experience, um, and did that for 12, 13 years before uh, the health system uh, asked me to primarily focus on the technology issues that the newly acquired groups in our health system I was part of the Ascension Health System and served as the chief medical informatics officer. And as their ambulatory footprint grew in Nashville, the clinics, the clinicians, staff were struggling with the adoption of the digital EMR. And this is probably going back eight, 10 years. And so primarily focused for several years on trying to make that integration more successful and effective until about five, four years ago when after some consideration joined a, a company called IKS Health where I presently serve as the chief innovation officer. And I joined with the intention of, of seeing if we could leverage offshore clinical talent working remotely through the digital EMRs to enable perhaps more effective, uh, better, safer care for day-to-day physicians and nurses in the U.S. And that is primarily been the focus for the last couple of years. Great. And, and Par, you know, uh, in our conversations, it's clear to me in the time I've known you, you are uh, you are uh, an expert in health informatics and in the deployment of electronic medical records. So how many, how many years do you have under your belt in terms of that particular role? The, the informatics piece, uh, informally, uh, I was probably fortunate to get some exposure even as a medical student at the University of Illinois at Chicago because order entry retrieval of results occurred. And that's back in the mid nineties and through residency in, in, um, in Springfield, Massachusetts, again, they were already piloting, uh, electronic prescriptions and refills. We had order sets in the hospital that were all electronic. We weren't asking staff to do order sets upon graduating. When I spent the year and a half in the, uh, Northampton VA system, seeing it doing inpatient and outpatient, That happened, 99, 2000 happened to be the year they transitioned the the entire system from paper to electronic and went on the VA's CPRS system. So again, informally, I I got immersed in watching the transition between sort of the analog handwritten notes to using uh, speech-to-text technology in Dragon and then being fully digital, both inpatient and outpatient. When I came to Nashville in 2000, 2001, they were not on any digital EMR. And, and so probably in the mid early two thousands, we started exploring what software to use. Eventually the hospital would, would choose Cerner, the, their, their, four hospitals in Nashville, part of the Ascension Health System. I believe all of them are are on Cerner. And then in the ambulatory setting, the decision was to choose one of the ambulatory focused 
EMRs, which was next gen. And it was at the time, probably around 2010, 11, that it was, I was formally asked to, to play a role in, in, in focusing almost exclusively on informatics, clinical informatics. Mm -hmm. So it's probably, you know, it's hard to say because this role itself evolved out of a need of, of not having systems designed solely by non-clinical engineers purchased by non-clinical administrators and then deployed in the clinical space. And I think clinical informatics has been around quite some time with a slightly peripheral focus, uh, mostly in the hospitals. But the rubber meets the road kind of need became far more urgent as we deployed ambulatory EMRs across the United States in the in the 2008 2010 period mm -hmm. and now most of us are almost uh, all all physicians are exposed in some form or mm -hmm. fashion to seeing patients in the emr right now this is so i want to pick up on that where the rubber hits the road because that to me in 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 hearing you speak and and knowing your your years or decades of of exposure to this um you you live and work and focus on exactly that area where the rubber hits the road uh, in that so-called uh, last mile of healthcare delivery and that doctor-patient interface. So what you've, you've devoted your career uh, to this in large part, and uh, especially as you've moved over to IKS and are developing and innovating uh, solutions, what in, in your experience as a physician, as a uh, healthcare informaticist and expert in electronic medical records, what is the problem? How do you, how did you again? You, you're in this, you know, at the front line. Uh, not only have you been seeing patients for many years, but you're seeing how other doctors are seeing patients and studying it. What is the problem? What are the challenges? How do you see that? How do you understand it? What led you to say this is what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to fix healthcare in this way. Uh, so a, a critical question that that um, I'm almost certain I never intended to ask myself. Uh, like everyone else, I thought it, everything must be well thought out and well planned. Medical school is very intense. Residency is equally intense. Uh, friends going through fellowship also intense. But nothing prepares you for graduating and becoming your the sole primary last stop for for care, as when you become an attending or you own your own practice or you join a practice. And what was interesting in those first few days, weeks, months, whether it was in Massachusetts or later in in Nashville, in Tennessee. What was odd was the intensity with which we were exposed to net new learning diminishes in terms of clinical, but a vast new world opened up in terms of how to organize oneself in, in relating to your staff, to um, being prepared for each visit, whether in the hospital, but primarily in the clinics for each patient and each patient brings a different level of engagement or understanding of, of why they're there. And, and it was 
um, and then the, there's a financial aspect of, of how am I going to get paid and what is the priority? Uh, there was an exposure of all of a sudden what you write and how you write it has implications from not just a clinical perspective, which is what I thought was almost exclusively the, the focus, but there's a, a, a mindset that you might want to be perhaps aware of, of how a, literally a jury might view your documentation of the experience. And then pretty early on, you get exposed to the pressure of, of billing and coding and, and the, the, the clinical content has a direct effect on some, some of these aspects that by and large, there wasn't a ton of exposure uh, or, or understanding, at least not on my part. And so when you first enter practice, you sort of absorb all of this and yet 20, 22 times a day, the intent is, you know, if you back up and that's what I did, uh, see, I'm, again, I, I'll confess like probably a, a lot of people, I am, while I'm well-intended, I definitely try to be lazy yet I want pretty perfect results. And so, so I asked myself this very question of what is it that we want to do here? And in the end, it is to try to help whomever walks through that door in terms of your patients walk away with some degree of knowledge that was worth taking half a day off of work, paying a copay, waiting in a waiting room. So, you you, you want to be you want to be effective in helping whomever walks through the door, and in some cases it's it's imparting some immediate knowledge, taking care of an acute problem. In others, it's trying to see beyond their immediate needs to to a larger issue that perhaps is contributing to to how they feel or or what's going on, and in trying to understand how you could most effectively uh, interact or care for a patient, given we typically in our visits have only a, a set amount of time, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, the, 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 the grains of sand are falling pretty quickly. And so I thought, well, how could I be most effective in those 15 minutes, in those 900 seconds, and and be a little bit more well-prepared walking through the door, listening effectively. And what it all seemed to come down to was if, you, if I wanted to give my most attention to impact the patient, I myself and my staff would have to be far more prepared and informed before we walked in the door, during the visit, and after the visit. And when I looked around this last mile, there weren't too many obvious uh, recipes for success in this preparation or what should happen during the visit or perhaps even after the visit. And um, so it took a, a little bit of time on my part, personal time, but I ended up rethinking or asking who should be doing what when between myself, my nurse, the the telephone person that takes calls, the front desk. And over the course of time, perhaps redesigning 
what happens when almost in all aspects of how the patient's approached, what do they do when they get greeted, what do we do in the room, how do we track our requests or, or, or tests results afterwards. And that model would get tweaked over the years. And then in some cases, um, sort of distributed freely to partners. And, uh, and like, as I served in different roles, whether it was coding, compliance, technology, I got to walk into many, many circumstances with other physicians who had complete autonomy and authority to create their own workflows. And what I tried to do was look at what was most effective for the patients, for the physician, for the nurse, and ultimately for the administration, what seemed to be working and what didn't. And there were some common themes. And, um, and eventually those, those would be the, the kernels on, of, of, of creating uh, uh, this recipe for success that was driven solely with the idea of making the best use of those precious few seconds we get with our patients a few times a year. As I'm listening to you, Par, a bunch of questions. The first one, well, first of all, I, I think your articulation that, uh, and I never quite put this together the way you did, when a physician or a provider is seeing a patient, you know, clearly there's a clinical focus. And so they're, they're structuring an interview in the way that they were trained. There's a certain amount of standardization to it. And uh, you, as you say, you you know, a patient has come to you. Uh, they spent time and money, um, and uh, something's wrong. Uh, generally speaking, it could be acute, it could be chronic, uh, it could be a concern uh, that they have a question, uh, a symptom, and uh, so you want to honor that and do the best job you can. And so that's that's the clinical part. But then on top of it, as you pointed out, there's a layering of. I also have to be cognizant as a physician provider about the medical legal aspects of what I'm doing. So you have that in the background because that chart, as we've been told, is um, is open uh, and uh, and exposed to uh, to uh, the legal system and the medical legal system. So you have that. And then on top of that, you're dealing with billing and coding. So the documentation uh, coding billing cycle is also a part of what you have to keep in mind. So there's at least uh, three things going on, on top of which uh, the logistics of uh, seeing uh, 18, 20, 22, 25, 30 patients, whatever it is a day. And so that is also uh, going on. What, what strikes me about this is, look, we've been working on this, uh, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people across the country and, and across the globe. Uh, this uh, cycle of delivery and uh, the flow of the visit, uh, stuff we never got trained on. What strikes me about it, as you're talking is, number one, just the incredible amount of variation. I mean, if you've seen one doctor see patients in their clinic, you've seen one doctor see patients. Everyone kind of does it their own way. Uh, as you put it, you're now, uh, without much training or, or, or knowledge, you're now accountable to be part of that process and process improvement. So you have to set it up in some way or follow the legacy uh, order or disorder of the practice that you're in. And so it, it just, it, to me, it's mind boggling that so many of us have spent so many years trying to get this right. Uh, and so that's, that's just one, one reflection as I heard you talk. And I'd like you to comment on that. But first, I, I just want to know, you know, I, 
I could tell you what I see and have seen. Um, what, what you know? What is the problem? I mean, in that, I mean, yeah, we got a, we have multiple things going on, and we have uh, to figure out a flow. But um, what's, what have you seen that is, uh, that, you know, that has really s- sort of resonated with you to the point where literally this is, this became not just what you did as part of your career, but this became your career. What, what, what is the problem? What do you see happening that has to be improved? The, 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 the part that's disturbing, the part that perhaps even led to the word guilt on my part pretty early on, especially when um, I got to Nashville, was it seemed pretty clear that I was going to earn a good living. And um, I was going to work hard. I was going to personally do far better than, than financially than uh, our parents who'd come from another country. And, and um, so that part's clear. Financially, there's, there's just no, no worries there on our part. When I looked at the leadership, the administrative leadership, our group was large and it just kept growing. They also financially do quite well. And, and most of the staff had tremendous longevity in, in the group I had. And so eventually they, they're going to do reasonably well. And when you looked at patients and their experience, uh, we, my particular group never had to market or advertise. Uh, the referrals came from very happy, satisfied patients. Yet the, the, the difficulty is, is even though it seems to be going well, for everyone, there's a tremendous inefficiency and cost to everyone involved. And when one reads or uh, looks at notes from your colleagues, whether in the hospital or in the clinics, there's just so many gaps for mistakes to occur, or you actually notice them occurring. And and because there's a tremendous gap between what I think patients or consumers uh, understand they should get or should happen versus um, verse what I think we, we see, our, our view, our standard should be significantly higher. And on a day-to-day basis, it didn't seem very predictable for, for me to, to feel that um, for, for the several hundred patients that might come to the clinic every day, how likely was it that everyone got extremely good care, that we didn't have too many gaps or misses? Uh, at some point, even uh, taking care of uh, remotely, taking care of my parents, uh, speaking to them once a week, asking them how their week went. Occasionally I'd hear they weren't feeling well or they're going to go see a physician or they just saw their physician. And so running through what was asked, what was done, a little bit trying to guess why it seemed like there was always an opportunity to touch up or improve the the experience they were receiving. And it seems odd that you would have to know a friend or family member who cared enough to ask these nuanced questions. And, and I think the devil is absolutely in the details of, of whether you set someone on a very safe trajectory uh, versus your interaction with a patient and, and, and it's less thoughtful and the outcome perhaps not near term, but certainly 
long term could be vastly different. And so the, the problem is, is that despite tons or in, in our case, trillions of dollars, um, lot, a lot of hardworking people, the, the staff, the physicians, uh, well-intended patients, our outcomes are just remarkably mediocre. And that, that just seems bizarre. And for someone who's, who, who, who just wants to have pretty good results without putting a tremendous uh, amount of extra effort, it seemed like something is foundationally wrong. Like, are we even asking the right questions? Are we, what are we focusing on? What are the administration focusing on? Are the staff focusing on? Are we missing something within the patient room experience? Because, because we're just getting mediocre results that aren't very reliable. I can't even tell who's going to get amazing care or poor care. And that seemed, that seems very flawed, deeply flawed. And yet we were all making a great living from it, which also seemed a little bit weird too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and listening to you talk about this, for me, it opens up the exam room encounter that so-called last mile and makes me think about it in a way, quite honestly, despite the fact that I've been focused on this for years and working with colleagues both in Boston and here in Charlotte and uh, quite honestly across the country studying, uh, I've spent probably thousands of hours observing in the exam room. Despite all that, um, which is unique in and of itself, I've never quite understood the encounter uh, to be as much of an opportunity for improvement as as you see it in, in and understand it to be. This idea that uh, here is a um, a process uh, where, again, as you point out, there are there's it it almost is um, a frontier. It's almost like a exploration into the uh, un, un, into the seas underwater or uh, exploration into space. It 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 feels to me sort of like the final frontier of of healthcare delivery. Maybe maybe we should call it the final frontier as opposed to the last mile because it it, it is an area that has not been explored in the way you you just kind of open the door a, a crack into this. Um, uh, idea of understanding this encounter, you know, is it, is it efficient? Uh, how to make it more efficient? Uh, you mentioned the gaps and the mistakes. You mentioned the lack of understanding uh, of, of uh, correlating actions and questions and interventions to outcomes. There's a, there's a, uh, this is almost to me, and, and tell me if, if I'm tracking you uh, or if I'm being hyperbolic, but to me, it seems like this is almost a, a whole area of study that has yet to be explored in the way that it can. Yes, we've been looking at time motion studies and, you know, I think there's a lot of work that's been done through the electronic medical record, you know, less number of clicks, et cetera. But, but that notion of tying the clinical to the emotional, to, you know, that human encounter, to com- connecting it to outcomes I think we haven't even opened that door up in the way or, or really put on our suits and gone into that final frontier with the with the light and the analytics um, that we could. 
So, so what is, is that, is, am I understanding you and, and how you think about this? I, I think your, your meta, metaphor of an ocean is, is a perfect one. Uh, it, it's as if we have spent quite a bit of time developing our ability to travel over the water, uh, whether in a speedboat or a luxury yacht or a cruise ship. But if I were to say that the, you know, behind the patient door, the, the clinic room door, what happens between physician and patient or even nurse patient, that's below the surface. And where I think the metaphor may not um, quite, quite do it justice is what happens under the ocean probably has not much to do with how, how much you enjoy your, your ride in a boat. But for healthcare, it, it is extremely odd that at, we're at this far into it, and so few of us have spent any time thinking through how or what, who does what and how within the patient room experience. We're taught all the pathophysiology of, of diseases. And when you hear these symptoms or you find these physical exam findings, this is what you should ask next or do next. And, and this is perhaps a, a way forward, which I think is critical. You have to learn that. But there are just countless examples of, of us relying on approaches that, or, or perhaps not thinking through what we're doing within those minutes, uh, those precious minutes, precious seconds, frankly, um, with the patient or how we prepare for that, that no one is asking, you know, how, how should we be doing this? Are we all following a good practice, a, a terrific practice or, or a ridiculous practice? Um, you, you know, I, I found, I found it bizarre that we are taught to, use the SOAP format, the subjective history gathering questions, ask questions of the patient initially, do the objective exam findings, and then come up with your assessment, list the assessments, and then list the plans. Just even that model perhaps is a good guidance for how you learn about a patient or a disease, but I see no value in that model being used as the model to document a note. Uh, we all generally know that after we've taken a history, done an exam, come up with a plan, more suitable perhaps would be list each assessment first and foremost, followed by the plan of action. Why did you think it was this as an assessment? Were there other thoughts that you were thinking? What test should one do? to differentiate between the possibilities. What are you going to tr prescribe, if anything, in the meantime, while you're trying to figure out what the ultimate cause is? Is there some next steps one should document before the patient leaves in case I get hit by a bus tonight? Um, what would be the follow-up in addition if these tests were negative? And then you should go to the next problem and the, and the third problem and similarly repeat this, this approach. Then I would put in the document history and physical, because frankly, when I'm look, reviewing your patient, I just need to know in the end of that 15 minute encounter, what did you come up with as the most 
important aspects. And then if I want to question or dig into how you arrived at that, I might study and, and look at your, your history or, or, or your physical. So I remember technologically, again, going back to this digitization, EMRs, the way the notes were structured in all electronic medical records, I think perhaps it's still the case, is they are in this um, format where the first thing you'll read is the chief complaint, the history, then you'll have to go through the uh, review systems and the past medical histories and, and f ultimately a physical, perhaps some diagnostics test. Then you get down to the assessment and plan. And, and uh, our physicians were, were just so upset with the whole transition from analog to digital that this irritant of how to write a note in the paper form or the analog form just got exacerbated in the digital form because every time I'd walk in to see a patient, I would have to revert back to my old note and scroll to the bottom through two, three, four pages of fairly um, less pertinent information. So the, I think it was probably the only time I, um, in my role, sort of said to, to to my colleagues or peers or hardly really said to anyone, I just made a decision that we were going to put the bottom of the note at the top. We were going to put the assessment and the plans up top so that when the physicians reverted back to their old notes, which they really should, that that's generically, a, I would presume a, a, a good use of 30 seconds is to look at the last notes. You want immediately to, to highlight the two or three reasons the person was there the last time with the corresponding plan. So something as, as basic as how we document a note, like it, 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 again, I don't know who you go ask these questions to. Why, why was it this way? But what I did know is that the chaos of the uh, implementation of electronic medical records over the last decade or so has been an opportunity to more rapidly rethink and redesign workflows that I had, I probably had issues with before. And so the silver lining in, in the difficulties of the last decade, it has been that for, for some of us that already were doing sort of heretical things on the side, we we had an easier case to go ahead and introduce what some peers would classify as radical work redesign, and um, and this is just one example. But you, but I do completely agree with your your premise that this is a field of study that, far as I know, there's almost no one studying studying too too much of this. And even even when 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 I first learned of of your work of of how many hours uh, years ago that you spent observing how physicians interact with patients, I thought it was you know, remarkably unique because I I myself have not encountered um, the, you know people that that have uh, physicians that have done that or anyone for that matter, and yet when with with some of the clinical services we've put in place over the last couple of years, uh, one of them is 
is asynchronous virtual scribing, where we uh, record the patient talking, uh, being interviewed by the physician, and then um, our our clinicians in in India um, over the course of eight, ten, twelve hours produce a, a a note. We translate the conversation into a a really solid note, applying all the all of the aspects and thought and and um, biases that 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 are that I've picked up over the Mark, can I, let me just let me ask because I'm glad yep. you 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 actually moved to what you're what you have come up with in terms of a, a sort of at least a, a, an interim solution if not a a, a next gen solution uh, in this so-called what I think you know you and I have come up with this idea of a final frontier of healthcare delivery again uh, being a trekkie. Uh, uh, for those of you who are old enough to know what that means, um, uh, but following Star Trek, space exploration, really going where no man has gone before, I do believe that this space, and you, you know, you're going to get into your your exploration of this space and where you have gone, where I think no man has gone before in terms of the solution. Um, I, I do think you're right. I think um, this is really cool. I mean, you and I have never really talked about this before, but this whole encounter ecosystem, to call it anything less than that, um, to think of it as anything less than the final frontier of w- how we can really radically transform and improve healthcare delivery, I think is actually not seeing it for what it is and the potential. And so, uh, so my, my, uh, I'm going to, from now on, I'm going to actually call it the final frontier of healthcare delivery, this encounter ecosystem and think about it as a, as the exploration of space or, or the undersea exploration, a, a Jacques Cousteau kind of thing where we really have been skimming the surface. Um, the opportunities here, uh, speaking to data scientists, the amount of data information that we could collect and actually use in real time, uh, to make that encounter so much better. For both the provider and the patient, I, I think we are not even at the beginning of understanding that. And so, for me, uh, if there's anything else I got out of this conversation, is that really wild realization, which is only wild because I don't think that anyone actually thinks that way. I know you do because I've had the chance to kind of pick your brain and listen to you. And I, I have some insights into how you think. And, but we, I've never actually even seen it this way until this, this conversation. Um, it, it, it the possibilities uh, are tremendous uh, to really, uh, really make healthcare, as you say, not, not just transforming the efficiencies in terms of costs and, and time and energy, uh, but also in terms of reducing the gaps reducing the mistakes and errors, and radically improving outcomes. And I think, Par, it's more than just, we've been talking about variation in practice, and we've been talking about practice guidelines and and algorithms. I think that may be part of it, but uh, there's so much more that could be gleaned and um, examined and uh, intervened on in that encounter ecosystem even starting with the emotionality of the patient and understanding the fact that, uh, and you're going to, I want you to jump in and talk about the solution that you've created uh, and, and what problems it's solving and what you're learning about it. But the, the amount of information we could glean in real time uh, using uh, some assistance in the encounter, um, I, I think most people have no clue about, about what you're doing and thinking and, and where this is going. So I want to jump in with you right now and, and, 
ask you to talk about this solution and what what it's helping, how it's helping physicians, how it's improving care for patients, how it's improving uh, efficiencies, and and where it might go. So you you, you have the mic. Thanks, sure. Par. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I I agree with agree with everything you're saying. I. I, I my, my suspicion, well, I don't want to be so bold as say it's the final frontier. I'd love it to be the final frontier, meaning if we spend some time and effort understanding this aspect of, of what could happen or what does happen between a, the time a patient steps into our, our office or in the clinic uh, patient room and our staff engages with them, we ultimately engage and then even a little bit afterwards I hope it is, uh, but there could be another literally blind spot that we're missing. But from from what I've seen over the last couple of decades in medicine is, is could, could this, what I agree with you is, is literally a blind spot, be a place that if we spend time and thought and effort in understanding could we suddenly get an ROI across the board for, for everyone? Could it be that we end up having more reliable, better, safer, effective care? Could it be that the, the clinic, clinical team that's delivering the care uh, finds it more meaningful and understands their strengths, weaknesses, biases? C- could we reintroduce the concept of of learning uh, similar to the intensity of residency, but make it ongoing, even if you're in private practice. Um, it, is there some mechanism that, that could really help the, 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 the physicians continue to better understand their biases? Could it be a more effective and affordable approach? Are we going to find something within this final frontier that that would lower costs because of some vast um, assumptions or presumptions we've been making, uh, directing uh, time and effort and dollars I- into something that's perhaps even worsening our ability to care for patients. Uh, th- that that that's at least uh, you know a deep down hope uh, that there there really is such a. Uh, an opportunity that we might be able to do all of the, the, the aims that everyone mentions and talks about without radically um, spending much more. And uh, so I, I just wanted to, to share that hope uh, that, that I'm pretty sure and the evidence over the last couple of years of us beginning to explore that space um, does seem to suggest some, Real yeah, part now you're teasing us, uh, and, and and I do I do actually I mean I I, I feel teased I feel uh, listening to you speak you're you you always have every time I talk to you but you are now you make me feel excited about uh, more excited about healthcare delivery and primary care and and the doctor patient encounter uh, from the physician or provider side you know really encouraging hopeful uh, that this could become. Uh, much more exciting, much more engaging, a continuous learning and exploration, and for the patient uh, to, to have a much better experience than they currently have or we have as patients in, in that encounter or those encounters and with, with better outcomes. So uh, 
totally excited about it. You got to tell us what you do. So let me let me rattle off a few few of the topics, and you can tell me which one you want me to explore more. Um, so so I'll raise a, a question or two. Uh, or, or a suggestion of what, how we're approaching or tackling the question. So one thing that 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 happens that's that's odd and disappointing, whether you're in the paper world or now the digital world, is is we um, see patients every day and we order a tremendous number of tests or referrals to see other specialists. Those tests are sometimes fairly often conducted in groups or centers that aren't all completely integrated in a Star Trek way where their results immediately pop up on our screens. And because of um, privacy and, 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 and strict privacy rules and so forth, it's actually fairly complicated to send someone down the street or even, frankly, to the hospital across the street to get a test done or see a specialist and get that result to come back in a timely fashion into your electronic system. So we've all spent billions of dollars transitioning to an electronic system. And unless you're a very large, fully integrated system that's a multi-billion dollar entity, and I would argue even then you're going to struggle with, with capturing the essence of the data and putting it in the discrete fields of the electronic medical record, to what extent have we ever, whether in the digital electronic medical re uh, record age or even before, ever checked or measured how quickly do results come back to a physician from a test that's ordered? How soon do they see the results? How accurate is it when the results come back to the to my office or to my practice that it ends up in the right patient's file or that I, I've, I've seen it. And, and if I have seen it, at least with the electronic medical records, they have little fields for almost everything you can imagine where I would say that um, I saw Zev and ordered a, uh, a chest X-ray on August 15th. The test was done on the 17th. I got the result later that afternoon and I was, there was a spot that I was concerned about and I would want to order a CAT scan. The CAT scan gets ordered a day or two later. Those results come back. All of these tests and evaluations, maybe it leads to you seeing a specialist. While at best, I'm hoping to get the facts to come in, maybe they've mailed the results. At best, myself and my team will be fortunate enough to review the results, pass on some, some instruction, perhaps type it into the system saying, hey, call Zev, get the CAT scan ordered. CAT scan's abnormal. Please set up a, an appointment with a specialist. Whether you're going to these appointments, whether you're, there's, a, there's a family emergency, you have to postpone them, reschedule them, whether you're just so apprehensive or scared about this CAT scan or the copay is so high, or the deductible so high that you can't afford it, hardly ever in any systematic way have, have we as administrative or clinical leaders systematically measured and understand how well are we ordering tests, how quickly are we getting results back, of the results we get back, do they get filed, 
or brought to the right doctor? Are they in the right patient chart? And, and then does the corresponding follow-up happen? And it may seem very mundane to ask these questions, but the fact that when we deploy our services, which essentially centralize, standardize this process, and we manage it from overseas and all, all mail, all faxes are scanned into a central place. And our team comes in overnight and, and sorts through thousands of pages of documents. And within 10 or 12 hours, they're not only sent to the, in the right patient chart, sent to the right physician and, and the key elements of the test being abnormal or, or normal are dated and attributed in the exact right field and orders are closed out. We've devised this service, but frankly, I have almost no baseline data to tell you how poorly we are doing this across not just our clients, but across the United States. And that is, that's fairly bizarre and alarming. And yet we've all known about this challenge from, from day one. You know, it might be helpful, Par, for you to share with the audience. Uh, you've talked a, a, a little bit about what you 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 are offering in this service uh, through IKS, but could you could you explain just uh, and you began to before what what this product or service is and uh, yeah, sure. So I can give some context. So so because of uh, this focus of what of what happens before, during, and after a visit. Um, when I left uh, the health system, which was an amazing Ascension Health is, is phenomenal, committed, vast resources, uh, hundreds of hundred plus facilities across the United States, ambulatory hospitals, nursing homes, um, thousands of employed physicians, uh, 100,000 or 150,000 probably by now employees. I think they're the largest nonprofit um, health system outside the U.S. government. And um, it's a Catholic ministry with a huge focus and emphasis on, 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 on really patient care. Yet, our, what I felt was the probability of getting down and studying and exploring some of these different aspects was low and, and also somewhat experimental and perhaps a little radical. So what I ended up doing was partnering with the leadership of ICAS Health, which was an outsourcing uh, revenue cycle management company, meaning instead of uh, everyone managing their billing and collecting from on-site, hiring staff locally, um, and dealing with the insurance companies and trying to understand in the shell game of, of payment where, where their money is, we... Uh, I, and we use them as a client, leveraged IKS Health's expertise in process and technology and sort of the rigor with which they would do this. They just did it um, offshore, 8,000 miles away in Mumbai and in Hyderabad, using pretty talented folks and leveraging sophisticated software. I approached them at some point, asked for help with clinical data, not just financial data and wondered if with the same rigor could we manage clinical data. And the three areas I wanted to specifically focus on 
was managing and helping uh, to this first point of, of, of trying to get the, the clinical data to the right place at the right time um, is, is, is fairly, if done well, could, could be quite magical. The second area was the addressing, creating better progress notes or clinic notes, uh, enhancing the documentation, but not only doing it for the, the, the aspects we talked about, making sure it's clinically relevant, legally appropriate, and um, encoding right, but it has to be done expeditiously. It has to be done quickly. And it appears to me that with the current technology and the expectations, the rules and the regulations, we're, we're going to really struggle to create good, valuable clinical documentation quickly, regardless of what happens in the near term. And, um, and, and what we were doing, and I referred to it earlier, was or what we've been doing is we've been creating audios uh, with all the, all the considerations for privacy. We, we've been creating audios of those patient-physician encounters and having physicians in India remotely listen to and do take the time and effort to create as good or better notes than the physicians would normally do in the U.S. because of many factors. Mostly they're under the pressure of time and, and are rushing. And, and then the third area that we focused on was trying to optimize coding those notes. And coding, as you know, Zev, is is a moving target, it's complex, it's an area we spend almost no time in our training focused on. And it's a, it's a literally another language that you end up having to be exposed to uh, when you graduate that you're ill prepared for. It is literally like if one were to imagine learning um, the practice of medicine in Spanish and then graduating and going to practice in France. Mm -hmm. It can be done, but it is incredibly hard. And coding, I feel, is the same way. And, and for decades, we're, we've been exposed to bits and pieces, but the way we even teach coding is, from an adult learning model, is awful. And so our company focuses on these sort of, what I believe are, are the ABCs, um, Putting the clinical data in the right place. Can we do this remotely? Uh, offloading some of the burden to the of the nurse and the physician. Can we actually create, uh, translate the conversations into into awesome notes for the physicians? And then can we code these notes or find the appropriate codes or bring them to bear for the physicians? It, in conjunction, we continue to to focus as a company on helping the administration manage the, the collection and the uh, tracking of, of payment in revenue cycle. And then perhaps the, the fifth element that we're paying attention to overall is in general, can we help generically come in and perhaps give input or insight into into an organization's overall uh, focus on process and technology and people. And the, these sort of five buckets, revenue cycle, cl 
clinical data, documentation, coding, and uh, a focus on people, process, and technology. You know, I, I certainly believe, and I think we, we believe as an organization, are, are, I think we're all, whether we acknowledge it or not, are struggling with one or more of these areas. And it's, it, it would be literally, you know, if I look at RCM clinical data, documentation, and coding as, as, as tires on a car, I, I think most organizations are running f with a flat tire in one or more of these, these aspects. And, um, and I joke to some of my colleagues that are focused on people, process, and technology. I said, generally, that's something we, we turned over to the administration. But while they're steering, steering this car with a couple of flat tires, often we're not even well, it depends. Some administrators shouldn't be driving because they just have no sense of of priorities on people, process, and technology. Others that are maybe very gifted at it, I think the physicians are so freaked out or upset, they don't want to listen to being steered into a better direction. And so all of this is resulting in we're, we're getting work done, just like you can keep driving on a car with four flat tires. It's possible, but it is extremely difficult and costly to continue to operate like this. And our intent with each of these services has been to come in in a scalable and affordable manner, leverage digital technology to not add bodies into these clinics, but to do it remotely with a, a rigor and an in, in intensity and an affordability that allows the the U.S. clinical nurse and physician to focus far more of those precious seconds on the patient experience. Prepare, help help these this clinical team prepare for the visit. During the visit, play some key role. So the focus and the attention is um, during those nine hundred seconds or fifteen minutes is is on the patient. And then even after, when we've ordered tests and so forth, or, or billing and coding, just keep adding value. The premise is if we, and, and we've been fortunate to, to take some of these concepts and deploy them and scale them, and they've been very well received across the market, um, as simplistic as they may sound, most organizations have not centralized or standardized almost any of these aspects uh, and definitely not all of them. And but sort of the, the, we've been doing this for a few years now. And, and to your earlier point, the amount of information and knowledge that we're starting to, to glean when you measure who, what doctors order, what tests, when, to what facility do they send their patients? Does that specialist tend to order more tests or less tests? Is the quality, is a, is a diagnostic center that does MRIs or CAT scans, do they always tend to recommend a follow-up? What is the turnaround time for these results to come back to these ordering physicians? Does it correlate with the cost? Does the quality of the um, specialist and what they do for our patients correlate with the cost? Um, if I were to turn to to, to the asynchronous scribing, listening in to how how um, 
a physician interviews and spends those 15 minutes is fascinating. Uh, you, you, you get to see trends by specialty of, of 15 minutes. How many minutes does a, a primary care physician spend taking a history, doing a physical, or spending time uh, explaining the, the plan? We're, it's still early, but we absolutely look to look for corollaries to, to say, if you spend 40% of your time explaining or educating the patient, is that better than 20% or is it worse? Worse. Uh, should you spend 45%? What fractions seem to correlate with better outcomes near-term and long-term? You, you can, even within taking the history, can you gauge, I mean, we haven't even uh, had, had chances to sort of correlate or, 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 or study this as, as much as we'd like, but you can listen in 20 to 20 audios of a new physician and get a sense of, of who they are. Do they, do they pause enough for, for patients to answer questions? Are the questions they're asking, are they the right ones? Are they effective? Are they efficient? Just studying this process is or could be potentially invaluable for a physician to get feedback on the effectiveness or the efficiency with which they navigate or distribute their, their time within that, that visit. And again, to the best of my knowledge, I, I don't know if we've been given guidance or have data that we can correlate what approximate breakdown would perhaps be a better recipe for, for um, success, whatever you define success, success to be. And, um, and then on the coding front, coding this, this difficult language to learn is made even more difficult because we generally don't spend but one or two days a year where we hire consultants to come in and teach our physicians how to or expose them to, to this complex topic. In our model, we're trying to give daily feedback. We're asking our physicians, uh, particularly for those whom that we're um, scribing their notes, we're saying, go ahead and guess what you think the code should be. And the following morning, when you see your documentation in the electronic medical record uh, completed, um, we're saying, look to see and we give them almost a report card of whether we agreed with their selections on coding or we disagreed. And if we did disagree, here's why. And what, what you find is giving very motivated, bright, even tired and busy physicians direct feedback, almost a report card, whatever their baseline, however poor it is, they begin to trend towards a very high degree of understanding and accuracy. So in effect, you're you're learning, and it's, uh, again, I, I spent quite a bit of time doing coding and compliance for, for the physicians in my old group, and this once, one or tw once or twice a year, one or two hour session with a coding consultant was, for the most part, vastly ineffective. This daily feedback, even if you limit it to just three or four months, I think could be seems to change the trajectory and their understanding 
well after we're out of the picture. And um, so th these are three services that are very crude that are, are intended to either give more time to the physician to focus on the patient, perhaps uh, add a degree of safety and uh, in, in the patient experience in terms of making sure tests are available when they should be, um, or there's certain optimization from a, a revenue standpoint. Um, but, but I could just go on and on in terms of what we're finding in each one of these areas. So I'll, I'll leave it to you to actually, I don't even know if we have time uh, per se to go yeah. into all of these services, but mm -hmm. the intent was to, to only engage or offer services that were core or relevant to, to, to this last mile aspect. And what we're now spending time is starting to study for each unique client physician that we manage, what are their strengths and weaknesses within each of these services? And because we're doing them literally a service every day that they generally don't want to practice medicine without us once we're in, engaged. So this, and we have a, um, especially in the scribing mechanism, we leverage a, a uniquely assigned physician in, in our offices in Mumbai, directly having a relationship, a one-on-one -on -one relationship through, through phone calls a couple of times a week or once a week with the client physician. And, and what ends up happening is we feel as much a part of the daily huddle or the team that's going to care for those 20 patients a day as a nurse would or the physician. And I think that virtual model is both affordable, scalable, and is absolutely a near-term, while we wait for technology or Watson to solve our problems, in the near-term, bringing some virtual eyes and ears and hands to the to the challenges that we face today seems to be a a good interim step um, to to tackle some of these core issues that you mentioned earlier on in terms of burnout and and cost and uh, and safety and so forth and uh, and the results seem to bear it out um, and, and we are slowly sharing back our insights that we're gaining from studying the work we actually do back with the physicians themselves who have never seen, seen some of this data about what they do and how much time they spend on this and their strengths and weaknesses, but they all uniformly seem to be open to it. Uh, which again, goes back to this point about, I, I thought, always thought it was weird that upon graduating after a lot of years of intense learning, you mostly go dark and um, you don't, really have peers sharing what they do versus what I do. Everyone's just busy seeing patients. And uh, now we have a mechanism by which we not only add daily value by helping carry the load, but we are trying to put some thought into understanding what everyone is doing and asking, is this, is this what we're intending to do? Is there, is there perhaps, some why that we need to think through this and uh, apply different approaches at different Part, times. You know, this is, again, 
every time I hear you speak, uh, I, I want to hear more and I, I understand uh, this issue and the potential solution in, in much greater depth. I love your uh, metaphor of the car, that we are driving a car with at least uh, two or three, potentially four tires that are either flat or not uh, filled appropriately and doing our best uh, to do this. And I think uh, as a result, we're seeing some of the uh, impact on uh, providers and administrators who are trying to do their best and uh, quite honestly, bending over backwards to make the system work uh, the best it can for patients. I've seen this now for decades. It's been reported and written uh, and discussed quite a bit, this idea that, uh, and I, I think you're absolutely right, what I love just to summarize my understanding. Um, so your solution essentially is sort of a scribes on steroids. And I, I, you may not like that, but as you were talking, that's, that's essentially what came to mind. It's scribes on steroids. Essentially it's a asynchronous virtual or offsite scribe that is, uh, typically an MD. Um, and you have them offsite in India. Uh, the visit or encounter is recorded and asynchronous, asynchronously reviewed by the scribe who is, again, a clinician uh, with advanced training in documentation and coding uh, and um, other aspects of, uh, of frontline care. And uh, my understanding is they review the chart, uh, again, asynchronously, probably overnight, and um, uh, because of the time difference. And uh, they look at the, the clinical data, they look at the gaps uh, in care potentially, they look at the documentation, they look at the coding, all of that is uh, analyzed uh, and, and uh, rewritten and uh, an assessment given to the physician. And then there's an actual synchronous potential for a, so there's feedback daily to the physician, which I think, again, for, for adult learning and for those of us in this, uh, having a session once a year or twice a year, or, uh, you know, once in a while in coding or documentation or care gap closure or uh, guidelines it does, it pales in comparison to getting that kind of daily feedback. Uh, the, the opportunity for rapid improvement, we all know, is so much greater when it's done more frequently and in small uh, bites that are uh, chewable and digestible. And then, as you, my understanding is that the um, offsite uh, scribe, uh, physician scribe, actually will will have a synchronous session, uh, maybe weekly, with the physician to talk about it. So there's even additional kinds of learning. What, what I what I really like about this approach also is there's a there's a an efficiency and a scale to it. We're all in some sense trying to do this by ourselves on our own in either at the individual practice level or individual physician level or at a group level. But the fact that you all have made this uh, a major focus service um, with tremendous resources that you're putting to it and, and for sure the human resources, but uh, the potential for as you as you started to go, I think really into this final frontier, this encounter ecosystem talking about um, we could start to measure the amount of time that is spent listening versus, versus asking questions. What type of questions are asked? What type of referrals? What type of testing? All that can be evaluated. It, it is, again, almost a, like lean or Toyota production system on steroids. It's the idea that you can start to apply analytics by analyzing this recorded uh, encounter. You could start to use natural langu language processing, NLP, 
to uh, understand the visit better and to report factors that we would never imagine you could measure, uh, both in time and in types of questions, potentially even analyze the voice of the, um, the emotional valence of the patient and the physician in the encounter and start to make correlations. So the encounter is dripping with audio data uh, data derived, for, d derived from the audio that you can uh, you can begin to use even more than you are using now. But the fact that it is centralized and you have a uh, you you learning from groups and providers across the country, I, I think the potential for where this could go is is just it's almost uh, it's exciting. And again, that's why I'm going to still hug to this idea of uh, I don't think it's the last mile. I think that I think it's the first mile. It's the middle of the race. It's the I think it's the entire race. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the encounter. I mean, this is really everything else is is supporting uh, what the uh, you know the medical clinical care, uh, the human care of uh, of the patient and 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 their family members. Quite honestly, so um, I, I'm I'm really I really love this approach. I love what you're doing currently. Very very practical, down to earth. I I've seen you in action. Um, this is not uh, Star Wars. This is not futuristic. This is what you do now in terms of helping providers each and every day take better care of patients, making it uh, easier for them, but also improving outcomes. Uh, as you put it, you know, training them in a way that is um, uh, both uh, reasonable and, uh, and uh, sustainable, and, uh, and again, all in service of, uh, of better patient care. So uh, that, that's my, uh, I think, uh, take on it so far. Again, I, I learned something new and different about what you, you are doing and what you're doing at IKS every time I talk to you. But I just wanted to sort of sum that up for the, for the listeners, uh, again, given, given that I've actually had the opportunity to, to speak to you about this many times before. Last question, and we, we've gone way over time, and uh, why, if you can answer this, you, you were in the provider side for many, many years, you know, neck deep in, in IT and IS and, and in practice and supporting physicians, and you crossed over into the vendor entrepreneurial side. What's, in a word or two, what's the experience? What has that allowed you to do? What, what was that about? Uh, yeah, that was just me being pragmatic and impatient. I didn't think an existing health system would be able to focus or, or allow for the focus of addressing or questioning some of these topics. I, I, I mean, I'll be honest, it, it has puzzled me since the first day I started in practice post-residency. Um, it, it, it is unclear. Like, I don't understand why everyone isn't or hasn't been wondering or asking these questions, uh, from, from day one. And, and frankly, I kept that to myself for years thinking, well, ar around the corner, one more meeting, one more committee, let me get on some other, there must be some wizard, uh, out there where, She'll explain it to me, and I it, it'll all make sense why we're we're expending this much time and trouble and and tolerating such mediocre results. And and frankly, I you know didn't get to encounter anyone that could. And the more I looked, the more it was the same. <clears throat> and and so it didn't appear 
that staying wholly within our healthcare delivery system, medical group, is necessarily the the most optimal place to go. And and so partnering with um, the the leadership of IKS, um, it was it's a, it was a fairly small company, eight hundred maybe a thousand employees when I when I met with um, the two co-founders and the chief operating officer, we were a client, so I had gotten to know them sort of tangentially. And, um, and they had, and I just love the intensity and focus with which they had tackled uh, revenue in, in helping us collect the nickels and dimes in the ambulatory space. Uh, and they truly focused in the ambulatory space at IKS as opposed to health systems because the dollars are just so much bigger in, in hospitals. Um, yet for many of us that practiced in, in clinics, which is probably the majority of physicians in the U.S., um, it matters to us if if we could, it would be much better for us if we got paid for, for the work we've done. And, and uh, it's the entrepreneurial nature. I, I knew if I, if I left the health system um, and went worst case scenario, it's a complete disaster and I get fired. But that, that would be a small price to pay. Uh, you know, luckily, like I said, when you're an immigrant, your expectations are quite low in terms of needs. Uh, those that have already been met from my time in practice and uh, so I could afford to fail, quite frankly, and take a chance. Um, I had to be mindful of what I thought we could do really well at a high quality, either better, at, at least the same, if not better, from 8,000 miles away. So the services that, that were chosen to, and the areas had to be both meaningful to the, to the U.S. clinicians but we had to be able to do those tasks extremely well. And um, all of this risk and taking a chance just fell into place because uh, IKS had already proven that they could do tasks that are quite sophisticated and complicated, albeit not clinical. Um, they could do them from 8,000 miles away better than most of us could do them uh, in the U.S. And, and then if you look at the market and, and, and the availability of clinicians and then all of these other factors, it was, it was suitable for an organization that was led by some fairly courageous, open-minded individuals that wanted to to. To, to do more than what they were presently doing. And then they took a chance and it was a risk, but I think it's, it's worked out well yeah, for hopefully you, everyone. You mentioned that uh, you're an immigrant and, and uh, to the United States. And, you know, it sounds to me like your story uh, is a lot of, has a lot of commonality with the stories of many other immigrants to this country and to the, the story of this country, which is largely built uh, on the hopes and dreams hard work, uh, integrity, and, um, and uh, the, both the wisdom and um, 
and intelligence of, uh, of people who bring new ideas to the country and keep it fresh. And uh, so I appreciate your story. I really do. I appreciate what you're what you've been attempting to do in healthcare, I, I truly love the uh, service that you are providing and that uh, you've created uh, uh, at IKS to support physicians and providers and to improve care. Um, I suspect this is going to uh, continue to evolve uh, as you apply greater science to it and greater technology to this um, service that already uh, is quite impressive. And uh, I just want to thank you for spending the time with us uh, and for the listeners. I know this has been a, a long show uh, and a little bit winding and meandering, but uh, uh, for me, I, I, I've learned so much. I'm, uh, again, every time I talk to you, Par, I'm excited again and enthusiastic and hopeful and, uh, about healthcare and what we can do and where we could go right now. Um, and so, uh, so I hope uh, some of that came across to the listeners today. Par, I would love to have you back again. Uh, still have tons of questions. I want to hear how you advance what you're doing and some of the results and outcomes you're getting. And, um, and again, just thank you. And, and, and also want to just thank the listeners who I know are doing uh, the hard work every day of uh, caring for patients or supporting those who do care for patients. So uh, Par, thank you. Uh, and all of you out there, uh, be healthy and live well. Thank you. Thanks, Seth.